Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the September 2017 podcast. And over the last couple of months, if you've been away and managed to, to have a holiday, hope you had a really good time. And of course, now that we're into September, the nights will be drawing in a bit. And I suppose the only good thing about that is that it means that magic is once more very active. And over the next um, few months, there'll be plenty of magic conventions and magic club meetings and, and hopefully quite a bit of magic on television as well for us all to enjoy. Um, talking about magic on television, I, um, I like to watch from time to time Duncan Trillo's um, video extract that he puts each week on his Magic Week website. And I was recently watching one that featured somebody who was a bit of a hero of mine when I first started magic, and that was Johnny Hart. At the time, when, when in the sort of mid-60s, I suppose, when I really got going in, in magic, Johnny was the, uh, the young up-and-coming magician, and he was on television, and he won the, the um, Magic Circle stage competition, and uh, he, was, he was very much um, the happening guy. And uh, in 1989, which is the extract that, um, that Duncan Trillo put on his website, was when he did an appearance on Michael Barrymore's show. And it reminded me, watching the extra, one of the things that, that really slightly irritates me about the way that magic is portrayed on telly. Now, in this particular extract, um, Johnny did some very nice magic on his own. And then he then did an illusion with Michael Barrymore himself, in which the two of them, sort of both at the same time, both did a soaring in lady and half illusion. Now, the problem with this is that, I mean, Michael Barrymore sort of hammed it up and, and so on and so forth. But what it kind of proved in a way is that, well, this must be really simple. If someone like Michael Barrymore, who is not a magician, by the way, he is a comedian or a presenter. He's not a magician. If he can present what is, let's face it, one of the key and most well-known illusions that lay people think of us doing rabbit out of a hat, soaring a lady in half. These are the two archetypal magic illusions. And here is Michael Barrymore, apparently with no magical experience, uh, able to present and, well, at least not present, perform this particular illusion. And I find that kind of rather annoying because it, it, in a way, it devalues the, the skill uh, of what we do. Um, it's like the, the I think the program was called The Magicians, in which they um, presented um, a magic show as a sort of knockout um, sort of game show almost, really, wasn't it? And they had celebrities there. They had magicians as well in the teams, but they also had celebrities and the celebrities had to practice up a magic trick and do it. And they, they showed them practicing it and then doing it. But again, it was I, I was left with the same feeling. Why should um, somebody who is not a magician just be allowed to apparently just do a trick? Gosh, magic must be so simple if somebody like that can just can just do it. And I think that is a pity. I mean, especially with something like Soaring a Lady in Half, which is is such a major illusion. Uh, and so many lay people think highly of magicians because they can do it. To then see someone like Michael Barrymore, as, as in this particular extract, just being able to, to do it just because he's a presenter, don't you think it devalues it? Or is this just me being a bit oversensitive? I certainly don't like to see it because I want people to, to respect us as, as magicians and to value the skills that we have. I was having a discussion once with a fellow children's entertainer about 
how far in advance when when he was doing a children's show he needed to arrive in order to get set up and get ready to perform and he was telling me he said oh i have to get there an hour before because i have a lot of stuff to get ready and for someone like me who tends to be able to sort of walk into a venue and start within five or six minutes i was a bit surprised about it i said really an hour do you need an hour to get ready he said, well, I don't need an hour to get ready. I need a good half an hour, though, because I need to put out all my props on display. And I said, your props on display? So, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, um, what I do is I, I set up two or three tables and I take all my colourful children's props and I like to display them so that when the children come in, they can they can see all the nice colours, colourful props. And, uh, and I think it, it looks really nice. Now, when I think about the way I do things, I, I don't do that at all. In fact, I don't display anything, any of the props. Um, I don't want the kids to know what's coming next because if you put out a load of, of props on display, although it may look kind of nice, although my, to, my, to my way of thinking, it actually looks a bit like a, a magic shop um, sort of display. However, um, if you then don't do a particular trick for any given reason, it might be that you've run out of time or that there's something you've forgotten so you can't do one of the tricks that, and the thing is out on display, what are you going to do? Just take it and put it away? Well, let's, well, why don't you do that one? You know, So I can't quite see the point of that. Um, and it's um, also a situation where he said to me, well, the reason I put all the stuff out is because I want the booker to see what good value for money they're getting. I've got all this stuff. And that was another interesting perception. I said, OK, so it was in his mind anyway, the big display of the colourful props showed that he'd invested lots of money, if you like, in the show and that therefore the fee that he was charging was justified. Now, to my way of thinking, this is actually not quite right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it as such, I suppose. But having to set out all those props and the danger of knocking them off, by the way, or them falling over or whatever. But putting all these things out, what a waste of time, in my view, that is. It's not surely the props themselves that make the show great. It's what you do with the props. And whether those props are, are out on display right from the start or whether they're not, surely it's more once you bring out the prop, how much fun and how good the magic is that you do with the prop that really counts. And it's that that will make the the person who's booked you decide whether or not you were valued for money not whether the props themselves actually looked nice on display now i don't know whether this this particular magician was um old-fashioned in putting out a display or not i don't know whether others do it to be honest i've never really thought about it that much before um, for me i've always had i very few props to display anyway unless i'm doing a, a show for little ones where i might have one or two sort of more traditional standard wooden props then um, that I suppose would give me some some would give me if I wanted to display them something to display but generally speaking when I do a magic show for kids I'm using ropes sponge balls you know think silks a few silks nothing very big in terms of props at all because it's the routines and the fun that you can have with the kids during doing the magic that's important in my view and not the props that you're using it with so I'd actually be quite interested to know whether there are lots of other people out there who like to make a display of the things they're using. And if they, and if they do, let me know and let me know why you think it's a good idea and why you don't think it's a good idea to do what I do. And that is not display anything at all. Since Mark Leverage Magic went completely digital back in April, each month I've been 
re-releasing um, some of the items that initially had to be discontinued. I've been re-releasing them uh, in digital format so that people can download the products. And this month, September, the latest one to be reintroduced is a routine called Perfect Intuition. I absolutely love this routine. I've, I've been using it for years as part of my stand-up act. And you can also use it at tables. And all you need are a few envelopes and some either double blank cards or business cards. As long as your card has a blank back, you can use business cards as well. And the, the idea of the, of the trick is that it looks like a spectator does the whole thing. And I kind of like that as a, as a performance premise, that you're kind of there, but you appear to be merely facilitating, if you like, one of the spectators to do a, an amazing piece of magic. And in the case of this particular routine, um, you have some envelopes, each one of which has got a blank card inside. The spectator from the audience chooses any of the envelopes, takes out the card, and then chooses anybody. If you're doing it around a table, it could be anybody around the table. Or if you're doing it in, in a sort of a parlour show or something like that, they can choose somebody else from the audience. Who And you tell, ask them to choose somebody they trust, which is quite funny because they choose somebody and you say, well, that's nice for you, but it doesn't say much for the rest of you. Um, anyway, then they write on the blank card they've taken from the envelope the name of the spectator they've chosen. It gets put back into the envelope. And then that one is then mixed up. The spectator actually does the mixing with five other envelopes which have totally blank cards inside. So you've got a pile of six well mixed by the spectator. And the spectator then um, tells you which spectators six in total in the audience she wants you to give an envelope to and at some point she has to indicate the spectator whose name she's written on the card she can have that person first in the middle last it's entirely up to her so she starts to point to people and you hand them the envelope she wants you um, to give to them and despite the fact that she could have chosen anybody in the audience the fact that she shuffled up the envelope so that nobody could possibly have any idea which one contains the card with the name of the person. Then she decides who gets which envelope and therefore which envelope the person she's named, which envelope they actually get. Yet when that person takes the card out of the envelope, she's managed to hand them the one that has their name on it. So it's a, I think it's a very strong piece of magic if it's sold right. Um, and uh, as I say, it's, it's, it's easy to do. I think it's quite ingenious in, in the way that it works. But there's no sleight of hand, nothing. It's all very, seems very open. And as I say, the great thing about perfect intuition is that it looks like the spectator does the magic. And I think to have a routine like that in your show is, is a really good thing. So that's, that is available. That is actually a premier, e, um, a premier e-routine download. And uh, the price of that is £10. If you go to my website, you can see that that's now been added to my list. I think I've mentioned before that as I have got older, I've noticed that the types of bookings that I get have reflected my more senior status. Um, these days, I've noticed that I, I get a lot of parties, birthday parties for cl doing close up for 50th, 60th, 70th, 80th birthday parties. In fact, quite recently, I even did a 90th birthday party. So, and I must admit, I do enjoy it. And I think that for the people booking me when they are a bit older, to see an older magician, perhaps they feel more relaxed about booking me, perhaps. But one thing that I have noticed is that when you're performing at these events for older people, whether there may be quite a lot of elderly people present, 
there are certain things that you can do in order to help them more to appreciate what you do. Because I think what we tend to forget is that naturally enough, as we get all of us get older, certain things start to fail. Your eyesight is not as good. You probably can't hear as well as you used to. And I think as a performer, if we rush up to a table and we talk really, really fast or we don't speak loudly enough, then for a lot of older people, they can they tend to switch off because they think, I can't hear what he's saying or he's talking too fast. I can't pick up what, what he's talking about. And and I think that's that is a bit of a danger. I mean, I think you find this at weddings as well, where there are some older people present. You know, you might be one minute you're doing a table of all young people who are the contemporaries of the of the couple getting married. So they may be in their 20s, in which case, you you know, all the references that you can make to to things that they might be interested in on television or in sort of modern life. Generally, references that you might make, they will understand. But if you then go straight from them to a table of people who are all in their 70s and 80s, then the things that you were talking to, the references that you were making with the younger people might not be so relevant or known about by the older generation. You know, their experiences are not the same, of course. They're interested in different things. Also, as I say, if you speak at the same fast pace, then they may not be able to pick up what you're saying. And I think it's a good idea to, to kind of bear this in mind because... Older people love magic just as much as younger people do. But you may wonder why sometimes perhaps you don't get quite the reaction you were expecting or that you would normally get. Well, it could be that that's the reason that, you know, you you show you flash the face of a card and instead of holding it still so that they can focus on it and actually see what the value of the card is. If you just sort of quickly flash it, their eyesight is perhaps not good enough to pick up quickly what card it was so if you get to the end of a trick and it's supposed to be the 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 selected card and you kind of flash it and they don't get a chance to see it well you've <laughs> that you've found the right one you haven't actually got a trick have you so i think that's really important to consider that when you're when you're performing for for older people the other thing that i've noticed about about older people is that um while they like magic they're also often very happy just to chat to you about magic I've noticed this particularly if you're in a restaurant setting, for instance, where you've got a little bit of time and there's not quite such the such a pace needed as there is, say, perhaps at a dinner function. You you get people who they they just want to talk to. So oh, you've been in magic long then, and um, then they might mention a lo- another local magician. Do you know so and so? We saw him do some magic, and they get a lot of pleasure out of just chatting to you. And I think sometimes, as performers. We perhaps worry a little bit. Well, if I'm not actually performing and doing magic, then I'm wasting time. Well, that may not be the case because, I, I, as I say, I find with the older people, they are more um, interested in you as a person sometimes. And they do want to chat with you about your life as a magician and what you do and where you've been and so on. So I think these are a number of things that, that uh, you can think about when you're when you're sort of entertaining older people. And if you know about these things and if you think about them in advance and you can act in the correct way, I'm sure it will help older people to appreciate what you do much more fully. For some time now, it's been said that no magicians like to learn new magic from books anymore, and that everything that they learn, they want to get either from DVDs or from online video instruction. 
I'm not sure this is absolutely true, although I do accept that there are a lot of people who prefer to watch and learn in that way than they do to sit down with a good book. But the idea that books are therefore totally redundant, I think is wrong. There are still a lot of people who enjoy a good magic book if one comes along. And although it may not be as in in the heyday, 70s, 80s, 90s, where you had people like Magic Books by Post and Goodliffe Publications who sold only books and who had huge, certainly in the case of Magic Books by Post, had a huge inventory of titles and they seemed to add new titles virtually every week. There was almost so many books that you couldn't, even if you wanted to, you couldn't keep up with the number of new books that were coming out. This is not true anymore, of course, but actually, in a way, what it has done is there are still new books coming out and there are still very good books coming out. It's just that there's not so many of them. And in a way, I think that's a good thing. When you think about a book such as Woody Aragon's Memorandum, which has just come out, or Ben Earle's Less is More, these are really top quality books with top quality content. And rather than these books being hidden away, if you like, in an absolute huge deluge of other not-so-worthy publications coming out, they tend to stand out. And and books like those are starting to become almost a bit more of an event again, as good books used to be years ago. When When a major author or performer produced a new book, it was big news, and everybody rushed to buy the book. Well, the same thing I think is still true, albeit perhaps a slightly smaller marketplace, but it's still true that when a major performer such as Woody Aragon or Ben Earl brings out a book, people are still interested. I mean, certainly from the experience that I've had being involved with Magic Scene Publications, we published some really good books. Our our first bestseller was the one that we produced on David Copperfield when we very first started publishing books years ago. Hugely successful, now sold out. Um, our biggest, another one of our big sellers was Wayne Dobson's Definitive Collection, an absolutely massive tome that turned out to be very, very popular. So publishing books, it's still there and books still do have value. It's just that, as I say, there are now less of them. And of course, there are lots of ebooks too, and 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 publishing an ebook, of course, is much simpler. There's, in terms of cost, there's very little cost, just some time. But um, ebooks also have a place that um, have helped people to put out there things that it wouldn't have been worth publishing um, a proper book, if you like, but it is worth putting together an ebook. It may be that there's a very um, specific area of magic or mentalism that the ebook is referring to and so it has a very niche marketplace and that niche marketplace can be fed very easily through the ebook cha- channel if you were to need volume and you wanted to actually publish a book then maybe it wouldn't work so, and so the thing would never get published at all whereas ebooks do make that possible so i think the ebooks and the real books the printed books both have their place and books certainly are definitely not dead I was thinking the other day about hecklers and wondering whether heckling still exists. I mean, to me, a heckler is somebody, and I imagine this happening more in, say, a cabaret or a a larger show than in close-up, but a heckler in cabaret would be where somebody from the audience, who may or may not be drunk and therefore more or less uninhibited, 
starts to shout out abusive things to the performer in an attempt to trip him up. And I do wonder whether, how common that is these days. For a start, most of the cabaret sort of venues, if you like, uh, very few magicians work them anyway. There aren't that many to be had, I guess. Uh, and so the opportunity for poor acts to get out there and work is perhaps less than it used to be. Perhaps in the old days where questionable quality acts were out there, then they they almost invited ridicule from the audience. And if you get somebody out there who's very opinionated and not afraid to shout out, then it could well be that hecklers uh, were more prevalent as a result of that. But most people, such as myself, for instance, uh, do a lot of close-up. And you do get, or you can get, the equivalent of heckling, except it's not really heckling. It's people joining in making funny comments or observations as you're performing and of course because let's say you go up to a table of six or eight people because it's a, a relatively small group somebody doesn't have to shout a comment out right across a cabaret floor loudly drawing attention to themselves they can make almost whisper or make little asides which everybody else around the table can hear and which actually are often very very funny and I've always said that, quite frankly, if somebody on a particular table is making jokes and everybody's laughing because it's them who is saying the funny lines, if I'm getting paid and they're all laughing, then I think it's a win-win situation. Obviously, yes, you have to keep control of that situation. You can't let that person take over. Otherwise, you don't have an audience at all. They're all looking at him and not looking at you. But nevertheless, it can sometimes be a help. And I think it would be wrong to make the assumption that somebody who is joining in is actually trying to trip you up. They, some people, and I think this is true of certain individuals who perhaps are sitting in a group of people they know extremely well. It could be family, it could be friends or a combination of both. And that particular person sometimes will consider themselves to be the, the leader of the group. It's a sort of a not something that is ever stated as such, but when that group of people gets together, then this particular individual, or there may be a couple of them on a table, they will be the ones who kind of lead the conversation, who make the jokes, who decide when everybody's going to get up and go to the bar or whatever. There are certain people who lead the group. And I think as a magician, you come along and you break into this group and in some ways you take away the attention from the person who normally consider, considers themselves to be the kingpin in that group and you start to take over and you're making people laugh and getting all the the attention and sometimes that person doesn't like it and so they try to wrest back control of the group from you while you're there by making lots of asides or having a go at you i actually think that there is a lot less of this i think if you if you're a good performer and you show that you know what you're doing that you tend to get less of this my experience has been that if you walk up to a group and they and there may be somebody on that table who gives you a hard time to start with, provided that you sh you don't show that it's upsetting you in any way, that you keep going and that what you do is then both funny and also good so that they get respect for you, you'll often find that the person who has been giving you a slightly hard time will become your best friend by the end of it anyway. He will shake your hand and say, well done, mate, you know, when you've finished. He will have enjoyed the experience of kind of, in a, in a good way, sparring with you while you were performing. 
And I think if you take it in a positive way rather than because heckler to me is a very negative term, you don't need heckler stopper lines. You don't need to be rude to that person. Um, And the great thing about close up, of course, is that if you do get somebody who is simply being abusive and not funny, you can wind up the trick you're doing and say, thanks very much. Have a nice evening. And you can just move away. So that from that point of view, it's great. So hecklers, I don't like the word heckler anyway, but people who join in, I see them, as I say, as a as a positive thing. And I think if you harness them in the right way, they can actually enhance your act rather than destroy it. Do you think people still practice magic in the same way that they used to? I mean, I know there are some people who um, practice an awful lot. They're very skillful magicians who, who need to constantly keep their skills up to scratch. And they're a bit like a musician, really. Musicians, no matter how good they are, will still practice sometimes hours a day in order to keep their standard up very, very high. And while I don't think magic is as technical as playing a a musical instrument can sometimes be, nevertheless, magical skills, if they're very high skills that you require, do need you to practice. But outside of those small number of people who really make almost an art form out of the fact that they're using skill, what about everybody else? I know when I first came into magic, uh, I would read something in a book and often it would be a book about slights, skills. And I used to practice those skills, whether it's palming or manipulation in some way. I used to practice those in isolation so that when I then came to doing a routine that needed them, I already had the skills to be able to perform the effect that I wanted to do. Nowadays, because people, generally speaking, are not tending to well, we were talking about books a few minutes ago, weren't we? Not so many people buy books, so there's not a large body of work they're trying to assimilate. They're buying individual tricks. And how many times have you watched an online demo of a trick and then when you see a little bit of information either on the packaging or on the website where you're watching the trick, how many times does it say, this requires a lot of skill? A lot of practice is required. Well, basically never, Uh, pretty much never anyway, because the producers of magic tricks have always made the assumption that the average magician is looking for something simple, quick, something that they can put into their act virtually straight away. Now, I don't know whether this is true, because for me, certainly when I was younger and I was buying a lot of magic, I used to buy tricks that I hoped I would have to practice a little bit. I didn't want something that I couldn't do, But on the other hand, neither did I want something that was incredibly easy. Sometimes in those days, I used to be a bit disappointed if I discovered that some clever gizmo or prop that I bought basically did the trick and all I had to do was present it. In those days, I didn't realise, as I do now, that actually it's the presentation that's the important thing and not how much skill you need to do the trick that's important. However, because I wanted to practice something, if I bought a trick that had no skill at all then I actually didn't didn't like it and I would often discard it for something where I had to practice a bit more in order to get it up to speed so I do wonder whether particularly say with young people whether enough of them are practicing skills or whether they are all going into magic and going straight in at the pre-packaged trick level because if you're going in at the pre-packaged trick level then a lot of the time the skills that you would perhaps normally expect with certain tricks have been removed by using some some gimmick or other the problem with that is 
that this often makes the trick itself not very practical because of the way that the thing needs to be set before you or held in your hand before you can actually do it. Whereas when you use skill, you can take an ordinary object like a pack of cards or a borrowed finger ring and a length of cord, and that's all you need. And then you use skill in order to create some magic. I've always found that preferable myself, but I'm not sure that a lot of other people do. I think a lot of people don't want that type of having to put that type of input into doing a magic. They're busy. They want something that is reasonably straightforward that they can do quickly rather than something that they need to put a lot of practice into. So what sort of magician are you? Are you the sort of person who enjoys having a little bit of practice when you buy something? Or do you prefer to have something that works straight out of the box or the package? Right, well, we've come to the end of another podcast. I want to thank you so much for 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 listening. Now, if you have any topics that you would like me to talk about or give an opinion on or just chat generally about, um, do email me, magic at markleverage.co.uk. Do email me and say what you would like me to talk about. Um, if I haven't covered it before, if there's a new slant on it, I'm very happy to have a think about it and see if I can put together something that will be of interest. But I do appreciate you listening and I hope that you'll come back for more next month. Bye for now.